1: Welcome to this edition of Political Rewind, our day after the Super Bowl edition. If you're listening in real time, Jim Galloway, I think the winner of the Super Bowl was Gladys Knight. Man, her rendition of the national anthem was just
2: magnificent. She didn't go anywhere. She shouldn't have gone with her voice. Nope. She she played it very good. Uh, and after that, the game was over, really. That's right. So the runner-up so the runner-up so runner winner were all the people who had to be in bed by 9 o'clock. Yeah.
1: Uh, well, I'm one of those, and I'm glad I turned off the TV and did go to sleep because this morning I realized I really didn't miss anything at all. <laughs> That's Jim Galloway. He, of course, is the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He's with us on Monday and Friday. You read his column on Wednesday and Sunday in the AJC, and he oversees uh, the Political Insider blog at – ajc.com. Hi Jim, it's great to be here. Cross from you, State Senator Jen Jerton, uh who represents um, Atlanta, North Atlanta, and moving up to the like Roswell. What? How do
2: you define? She's a member of the Cobb delegation.
0: Right? Are you and Cobb? I, half of my district's in Cobb, oh, okay. so I go up to Sandy Springs, but I come back down. I like to say it's like a kidney bean, and yeah. Half of it's in Cobb. I have Vinings and Smyrna and go all the way up just right to the Marietta line.
1: So does this mean you were part of this really peculiar effort for Republicans to uh, influence who became the chair of the Cobb County uh, delegation to the legislature? I was
0: not part of the Republicans' effort. No, no, I understand (laughs) that.
1: I understand that. But you were part of the – you watched that strange effort unfold.
0: Yes, I did. Um, the good thing is we're, we're moving forward, and I think we're going to try to have um, a delegation meeting tomorrow And because um, at the end of the day, the people of Cobb County really don't want politics to come into it. And I think that the big winner actually was Big Boy, but it sounds like you went to bed oh. before that, Jim Galloway.
1: Yeah. Oh. oh, well, it sure wasn't Maroon 5 from everything I've read. <laughs> Heath Garrett is with us. He, of course, is a longtime Republican strategist. He has worked particularly closely with Senator Johnny Isaacson for, a very long time. Just now, wrapping up, you told us, all of the details of what you have to get, the, the different campaign finance reports that are still due, wrapping up 2018 and starting to ramp up for 2020.
3: It's hard to believe. And Bill, it's great to be here. I just want to say how proud I am of the city of Atlanta and the whole state of Georgia uh, putting on one of the best Super Bowls ever. And I think all of the pundits this morning were just praising Atlanta and the effort that we all uh, put into that. So we're excited.
1: Former State Representative Ed Lindsey is uh, also at the table with us today. Uh, Ed, the last time we saw, bef- I think you have not been on the show since you won a uh, case that <laughs> uh, right. many people were talking about in terms of lieutenant
4: governor's race. What, what was that? That's right. I represent uh, Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan in the uh, election uh, challenge and uh, the case was dismissed by Cobb Superior Court uh, Adele Grubbs. That was the end of that. Well, there's going to be an appeal, but uh, but we think we feel pretty good about our chances at this point. Uh, Sarah
1: uh, Amico saying that she thought the election uh, that there was problems with the election
2: machinery and well, she's I mean uh, look, she's she's pointed to a hundred thousand yeah. vote gap, yeah. uh, a drop off between yeah. the governor's race and lieutenant right. governor's race, and so far nobody in the capital is. Uh, curious enough to wonder why.
1: Right. I mean, it really is. But if you want to
2: hear about why, I'm happy to tell you something. Okay, (laughs) well, we'll let you
1: litigate that when it goes to appeal, uh, uh, Lindsay. By the way, I want to point something out about every now and then, we have more guests from one party than the other. It's just the exigencies of how the show is booked. (laughs) A couple weeks ago, Jackie Cushman, on a Friday show, was the only Republican. And when I said, uh, we have two Democrats and a Republican... But you, but often we have the other way, and she said, I don't know of any time when you've done it. Well, today <laughs> we have Republicans Ed Lindsey and Heath Garrett taking on Jen Jordan, but you're up to the task, aren't
4: you, Jen?
0: Yeah, I think so. <laughs> As a
4: matter of fact, we're, we're outmatched already. I,
1: al- I always say when people wonder about it, it is not about numbers. It's about whether you think I am able to run a balanced Program. Okay, enough said. Jen Jordan, let me start with you. Um, since the last time you were on the show, you've been part of a really interesting and important effort at the – Gold under the Gold Dome – Women have suddenly felt in January, it's been longer than that, that women have felt marginalized down there. But there were several events that unfolded at the beginning of the legislative session that brought you, as a Democrat, your Republican counterparts uh, in the Senate and in the House together to uh, strike back at what you see as the, uh, I assume it's fair to say, sexist treatment that women sometimes uh, undergo uh, in terms of uh, uh, how they're treated uh, in the Capitol?
0: Yeah, I'll tell you, it was almost like a perfect storm of bad um, in terms of the state Senate. Um, We show up the first day and we have uh, proposed new rules from the Republican majority that now lay out kind of a ridiculous draconian (laughs) kind of approach to filing a sexual harassment claim. Um, and then they released the committee assignments and where now they've taken one of their senior women and there are two Republican, um, women senators, and they took one of them and um, basically demoted her from Health and Human Services Chair um, to Science and Technology. And then with respect to where they put all of the women, um, you know, we were put on committees that don't do the most important work down at the State Senate. And, um, you know, at some point, you've got to call folks on stuff. Because, you know, we bring important skill sets to the table, and um, when you start to see that they, as a party, the Republicans are doing it to their own women, um, as well as Democratic women, then you, you have to kind of say, look, clearly there's something else going on here, and, and it's not just a partisan issue. You
2: you you were you were named uh, chairman of the special uh, judiciary committee. I was. How many how many bills did that handle? in the last, in in the last, uh, cycle.
0: So I was a member of special judiciary last session and we had zero bills come through. Um, the year before that, I'm told that there were a handful, maybe five, maybe six that actually were considered, um, that kind of went through the committee. Um, What was interesting is that when you looked at the makeup of special judiciary, it became basically all of the Democratic women um, and one newly elected um, Democratic Senator, Sheikh Rahman, um, from Gwinnett. And so, you know, it was one of those things where you're like, come on, this is this is a little crazy. And then additionally, one thing that they did with the rules as well is that there had been 12 members of the Judiciary Committee and they actually cut it to 10. Um, And why did they do that? Well, that there were two women lawyers who weren't on judiciary who then didn't get those spots. Um, and in the history of special judiciary, the chair has always also been on the, the Judiciary Committee.
1: And you're not. And I'm not. You know, it's, one of the things that was interesting about uh, reading that, Heath, is as mm-hmm. that unfolded, is when I first read the news, the assignments that a Democrat, Jen Jordan, had been appointed a chair in the Republican-held Senate, I thought, well— There's a a blow for bipartisanship, good for uh, uh, Jeff Duncan, lieutenant governor, and the leadership of the Senate that puts together these committees. Uh, It didn't take long to find out that that really wasn't the case.
3: No, and I don't have uh, inside information on how or what all went down here. I think it's a combination of a couple of things. Number one, some of it's raw politics, right? Most of the women in the Senate are Democrats. The Republicans are in the majority. It's not uncommon for majorities in all state legislatures to make sure that the opposition party doesn't get the plum assignments uh, on these committees. Now, that being said... Uh, it's also income, and there's unique circumstances around Renee Unnerman, right? Uh, I think one of the things you can say there is that's purely raw politics, right? If you end up opposing or supporting the wrong candidate in a primary, there's political punishments, if you will, that are meted out by and, both parties. And she was, a,
2: she was a very tight Casey Cagle.
3: Casey Cagle, support. right. So in some respects, it's very respectful of her as a woman. They're treating her just like they would have treated a male chairman and demoted him uh, in, in similar circumstances. However— we as Republicans have to look through this lens, uh, and I say this all the time in my speeches. Right there are a few. There's a gender gap uh, among uh, voters when it comes to the Republican Party and to our candidates. We have to look through it with this lens, uh, whether we think that's necessarily philosophically always the right thing or not to do. And you got to pay attention to it. And I've been the fortunate to work with Johnny Isaacson and Chris Carr and others who've always had that kind of perspective to it. But it's absolutely something you've got to pay attention to in politics.
1: Ed, you know it's interesting to hear. Uh, the notion that Renee Unterman, this is real equality at work. She was treated as anyone uh, would be if they did not support the winning candidate. And you could make a case for that. Nevertheless, it was another one of the reasons that people like Jen Jordan crossed – was willing to form a bipartisan kind of uh, group to fight this sort of thing. Unterman, you know, she's very controversial. There are people who find her hard to deal with down there. But she ran the health committee with intensity, with passion, and took up issues that mattered.
4: Well, she, she did. And, and I want to start off by saying that Renee and I worked on a lot of legislation together, in particular dealing with the human trafficking issue. She and I worked very closely uh, hand to glove on on that sort of issue. But she she uh, she plays hardball and and uh, and with high elbows. And uh, and she doesn't uh, she doesn't apologize for that. That uh, oftentimes advances your career and sometimes set back. I'll say this right now about Renee: this may be a temporary setback, but I'm not. But don't count on her being out. Uh, she'll she'll be back. Uh, she knows how to build relationships behind the scene, as she did with Casey Cagle, and she'll build those relationships
2: with uh, with uh, the new lieutenant governor, the new governor, and, and she'll be back. What uh, what 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 Republicans in the Senate and, and and goodness knows probably in the House and elsewhere need to to kind of be cognizant of and and Heath kind of uh, pointed us to it is is that you know there there came a, a time in Georgia politics when when a republican had to realize that when he when he attacked democrats and it looked like uh, he was he or she was it was attacking african americans that was a problem and now you have the same you have the same problem because there's such a big gender gap especially in the legislature i think 13 of the 15 women in the senate are, are democrats you can yeah you can say that you're, you're 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 this is simply part of partisanship but it's also uh very male-dominated.
0: Yeah, and, and I honestly, I really wish they would have just come and said, you know what, this is just politics. Suck it up, right? But the problem is the messaging on this was so poor. When you have statements being made like— No, what we really tried hard to make sure that the right skill set and that we looked at each senator and said, what are they really good at and where are we going to place them? You know, that doesn't really hold water when you take... Two lawyers, and you don't put them on the judiciary committee. And but we have
2: we haven't we haven't talked about the sexual harassment. Well, that was the next thing I wanted to get to. Uh, as a matter of fact,
1: anybody else want to finish well, up? Yeah, there?
4: but I would like to point out one thing, particularly in the House, and I'll talk up with from my old chamber, the House, the the, the uh, Speaker Pro Tim is is Jan Jones. Some of the biggest committees in the House are chaired by women. Uh, such as Lynn Smith on natural resources Sharon and Cooper. Sharon Cooper on mm-hmm. health and human services. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, talk up my, my old server <laughs> there. Uh,
1: Jen, Jim just mentioned something that's very important. Uh, on the same day, we've talked about this on the show before on uh, Brian Kemp's first day uh, in the governor's office, he signed an executive order that standardized and created a very specific procedure for how sexual harassment would be dealt with in state government agencies. And and it seemed to be a pretty good step in the right direction from the governor's office. On that same day, what did the Senate uh, do with harassment rules?
0: So they dropped a a brand new ethics rule, that's what they called it, but it outlined a new procedure with respect to sexual harassment claims, and it completely upended... (laughs) Um, kind of everything that we had been moving toward and working toward and it was in direct really in conflict in a lot of ways with what I think Governor Kemp was trying to do with respect to his order and I mean they limited it to a two-year period and I think Galloway said on the show before and but then the little the little tweak to that is, well but you can't file a complaint while someone's running for re-election we run for re-election every two years um
2: for about six months
0: right They change the burden of proof to say it has to be clear and convincing evidence. Um, You may have to reimburse the cost of the investigation if you're a complainant. You can be sanctioned for contempt, meaning you can be jailed by the Senate. And these are all targeted toward the person making the complaint. Um, none of this is putting any kind of burden on the fact that someone is coming forth and saying they've been a victim of, of some kind of abusive behavior. So looking at that through the lens of being a lawyer and as a woman, it clearly was written with an eye toward keeping people from filing complaints, which is exactly the opposite of what we need to be doing.
1: Jim, in, an, in the Me Too era, the passage of these rules seems so entirely tone deaf, it's kind of staggering.
2: Well, uh, clearly, what they were doing is they were fighting the last war. Right, David Schaefer. Right. Right. And he was, yeah. uh, I mean, he was, uh, uh, he, he was accused immediately after he qualified for election uh, for, for the lieutenant governor's race in March. I think the Senate Ethics Commission uh, exonerated him in April. Nonetheless, it became a a, a big, uh, a big, uh, a big issue in his in in the primary and the primary runoff through dark money through some dark money expenditures.
1: So, Ed, this you know this is not the face that you would imagine the Republican Party wants to wear at a time when women are seem to be at
4: least in suburban areas abandoning the GOP. Well, the fact of the matter is, folks need to have a a place where they can come and file a complaint and be able to be heard. And in this day and age, they need to do so. I am glad to see that the lieutenant governor has been reaching out to folks to try to say, okay, let's take another look at this rule and move on. Um, you know, Tone death may very well be a good description, but let's see what the final product looks like. Um, you know, There needs to be you know, you know, s- some of the aspects that Jen has covered You know, as a lawyer, as a lawyer who defended people. Uh, I have to sit there and go. Yeah, God, that sounds a little bit tough. So let's so let's see what the final product is. But I I would agree that that, that, that this was a little bit ham I, I should I know yet.
1: Jen, you're gonna can help us update this. But before we get to that, Heath, I should say I I kind of heard what I just said a minute ago, and I thought the biggest problem here is not whether it's politically smart or not. The right. biggest problem here is whether it shows any respect at all for right. women who are victims of sexual harassment.
3: Well, look, I mean, Jim had it exactly right. It looks like they took this one most recent example in isolation of what happened to David Schaefer, and they're feeling like an innocent situation was created for political purposes, right, and then not paid attention to the broader policy, right? Let's talk about the politics for a second. Really got to be much smarter about the filter of which you're viewing anything related to sexual harassment or or women because it's the right thing to do, not just because it's good for politics, uh, but, number two two, they are trying to protect the innocent, right, from being falsely accused for political purposes. We had just gone through what was obviously a nationally divisive issue around this issue with the Kavanaugh hearings uh, in Washington, D.C., but clearly didn't think this all the way through from a policy standpoint because at the end of the day you're trying to protect the accuser in this situation from retaliation and all the other things that come along with it and there's plenty of data out there that these accusers don't feel comfortable coming forward and we have problems in all of our institutions with it so I'm with I'm with Ed I want to see what the final product is Governor Kemp has a good start to this so not Republicans are trying to figure out how to get this right so but a and, lot and of if did, I could did, add one other thing
4: re, real quick I, I am gratified that that Kay Kirkpatrick is the chair of the of the women's of of the Senate Ethics Committee. Uh I know Kay and I think that she's someone who would like to try to work out something out.
1: Uh, there are potential changes in the works is that right Jen?
0: There is. I mean, I think that um look, the lieutenant governor has and I think he said this publicly to the press that he was not aware of this rule and that um Basically, it was that he had been it had been communicated to him that nothing's a big deal. This is just kind of pro forma. We're kind of move about kind of our business that day. And then as soon as it hit the press, he started getting texts and calls and he was like, what is going on? And so from his perspective, I mean, I think what he's doing is he he's taking a hard look at it to see if there is anything um, that needs to be done. And, you know, right now I'm hopeful. Right. We can always be hopeful, and in terms of the lieutenant governor, I mean, he has shown a willingness to to look at things and to be a, a lot more open maybe than um, past, you know, holders of the office. And um, so, you know, we'll see. So
1: let me ask you, before we move on, a, a, a much broader, more general question. We now have, what, 104—we we elect more than 100 women to uh, the U.S. House on this last election— We have four women who are so far declared Democratic candidates for president. Uh, And yet the landscape in Georgia doesn't seem to have caught up to the rest of the country. How hopeful are you beyond just the issues we've talked about now, but beyond that? And you had a Stacey Abrams who came within 55,000 votes of being elected governor. Are women making genuine progress under the Gold Dome at this point?
0: Yes, but this is what I like to tell everybody. This isn't something that just happens overnight. I mean, when you have an institution that has been there for as long as the state senate and the state house has been there and it's been run a certain way for as long as anyone can remember and people come with very distinct views about things, it literally is going to take every time a woman gets elected and it changes kind of the conversation, but then it becomes the new normal. And so it's every person we add, every woman we add, every woman that's added to one of these committees that actually makes things a little bit different, and then it makes it possible for the next woman. I've already seen a huge change, even since last session, um, because we've had even more women come in. And I do think Republicans are paying attention to the numbers in terms of especially... um, the, kind of the northern suburbs I mean you can't stay in power if you lose women we are 55 percent of this state and so you know it's taken some time but I think at least some people are paying attention okay well well,
4: yeah go real quick just to add I, and I agree with Jen and you know I, I came to the legislature for the first time in 2005 and left in 14 and I've been part of it uh, since I left and now that I had a public policy team. There is an enormous amount of change. Still a long way to go. Not where we, not where I think anyone at this table thinks we should be eventually. But uh, the sea change that I've seen since just since 05 has been tremendous.
1: All right. Well, we'll watch how that unfolds. Jim Galloway. Uh, we talked a minute ago about Sarah Riggs Amico uh, losing a first round, at least, to uh, uh, in her effort to uh, uh, overturn the results. No, no,
2: she's not a part of that suit
1: she well she may not be a part of it but it's on her behalf is, my, is yeah. i think it's fair to say thank you though i appreciate that correction said so, me you newspaper guys that us people are on the media you're much more specific than we are much more uh, you drill down to the real facts <laughs> <laughs> all right but you i
2: interrupted i'm sorry no
1: that's fine uh are we ever going to find get a representative in the 28th uh, district uh, House, Georgia House of Representatives well we're going for a three first <laughs> three wow we're going to the third election between
2: Dan Gassaway and uh, Chris Irwin now, and okay all right now here here we, we talk about voting irregularities yeah. and and suspicious voting and improper voting uh it, it's it's not Democrats this time. This is, this is this is this is this is this has the the makings of a kind of a North Georgia feud here. I mean, I mean, you had a, a December, a, you had a November election, a December do-over, right? Which ended up thirty-five, uh, three thousand five hundred twenty-one to three thousand five hundred nineteen. Wow! In in favor of Irvin, right? Irvin, yeah. Irvin uh, at the at the expense of incumbent Nangasaway. Now that has been overturned because yeah. because you had what four four voters who did not live in the district, yeah,
1: yeah uh you know the first thing to say about this Heath is these this is another one of these moments. When it's important to remind people, if you don't think your vote counts, that you shouldn't bother showing up at the yeah.
2: polls, this is why you should. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. And 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 presuming absolutely. you vote in the right district, right. the right precinct. And, and, and also, it should be, uh, this is important. Uh, this, was, this is a, a, a primary do-over. There <coughs> yeah. are no Democrats involved here. Right. This is solely a Republican fight. Right.
1: Okay, so there's
4: that aspect of it. But, you know, it, it, one aspect you got to remember, this is something that Jen's going to have to deal with in the General Assembly. Yeah is that everyone right now is focused on the voting machines. You know, what kind of voting machine? Mm -hmm. And as difficult as that decision is, that's the easy part. The hard part in order to get... Uh, more uniformity and and standards in place to be dealt with across the state is is for the state to take greater control over the elections because right now these problems that that took place in that district and took place in a lot of these other campaigns are the result of the fact that we have 159 county election boards oh, that's with 159 different yeah. standards and as as Jen I'm sure is discovering already and she'll discover even more with this fight you. Turf wars are the toughest things at all uh, for uh, for the General Assembly to yeah, deal with. Yeah, just and, ask, this, and this is the ultimate turf battle between it, the state and the and the county election. Yeah,
1: awards. it reminds me. Just ask Killian Townsend what it was like to try to consolidate <laughs> Georgia counties because yeah. of the kind of turf wars you have. Jen, what do you say about well, what Ed's saying?
0: No, he's exactly right. I mean, they're little fiefdoms, and. They employ people and they've got power. And, I mean, it's a problem because we really do need a unified system. And because what it enabled folks to do is they've just – They just point fingers at each other when something goes wrong. The secretary of state will say, well, no, it's the local folks. The local folks then point the finger at the secretary of state. There's no accountability and nothing gets fixed. And out of the gas away stuff, I think what was interesting, we talked about the Super Bowl and y'all talked about the Super Bowl ad with Stacey Abrams. Well, the Republican official that she appeared with um, was Natalie Crawford from Habersham County, who's right in the middle of this big mess.
2: And it's it's not just we're not just talking. Talking about placement of precincts, we're talking about 159 different standards when yeah. it comes comes to judging absentee si- oh, yeah. signatures, uh, deciding well, when pro- when provisional ballots will, are, are necessary, and when problem. they should be counted. Oh yeah, that, that, that's what I'm talking about. We, we need a more we need more
4: uniformity, and that's only going to happen. When we have a greater state, Keith, you the get the last
3: word in this segment. And I like the wrinkle <coughs> on this, right? Because at the end of the day, you had four people who voted in the wrong place, yeah. which is the argument that Brian Kemp and all of us on the Republicans have been making: or why we need good voter fraud and and identification whoa, 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 laws. Whoa, whoa, to wait, wait, you know? wait, wait, wait,
1: wait, 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 Do we have any indication that these any of these four people? Fraudulently no, voted no, where they didn't, the or did of the they just right? m- m- accidentally, accidentally show up? Accidentally,
3: so so All it right, happens just accidentally. Be careful. And how did we do that? We could we realized that, right. uh, through the identification process? I, I'm trying to pick up right. on Galloway's no. point about That's being exactly much more well, specific.
1: All right, I got to get to a break. <laughs> um, this is Political Rewind. You can watch us right now on Facebook. Go to the G P B page. A lot of you are already doing that. Tweet us at Politics gpb we'll be right back
2: financial contributions from listeners like you are not the only gifts that keep gpb on the air in fact many listeners have already chosen to donate a used vehicle to
1: gpb we'll pick up your vehicle for free and send you the paperwork for your taxes get started today call 877 gpb one car or go to gpb.org slash cars That's
4: 877-GPB-1-CAR or gpb.org slash cars. And thanks. President Trump has focused on the debate over a border wall in recent months, but the State of the Union offers a chance to highlight other priorities.
3: Americans want to hear much more than immigration. They want to hear solutions to health care, to infrastructure, to data privacy, uh, foreign policy.
4: We'll
2: preview the State of the Union
4: this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News.
2: For till 7 today on GPB and gpbnews.org. Uh,
1: Galloway, we talked on this show last week, and you made news in the Political Insider uh, blog that uh, the Stacey Abrams' uh, folks were spending $100,000 dollars to uh, run a spot, a TV spot during the Super Bowl, it would be only in Georgia media markets. I have to say that nobody saw it. I not only nobody did hear. It, well, no, I'm also seeing on Facebook Live our our listeners saying, "Did you see it? I didn't see it." I would love it if somebody out there either can tweet us. Or send us a message on Facebook Live. Tell us if you saw it and at what time it in aired what, and what, where in you what were. Station.
2: Yeah, what station? Because
1: hundred thousand dollars, we decided, Jim, would maybe get you—you know—Albany, Augusta, Savannah. But it's hard to imagine it would also get you Atlanta on a Super Bowl night.
2: No, no, no. Uh, you can't. Com- yeah, you can't compete with Pepsi or, or 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 Kia or some of the other. Uh, commercials out there.
1: Okay, well, so please do. We're, we're uh, uh, turning to you in the audience to tell us if you uh, saw that particular commercial last night. Why don't we go ahead and go to what we uh, think is going to be happening uh, in, in about uh, 36 hours from now, when uh, first President Trump gives his State of the Union speech, and then Stacey Abrams gives the response. Uh, let's just say from the very outset here, Jim, we don't really – Stacey Abrams' people are playing it and the Democratic Party in general playing it very close to the vest in terms of exactly what
2: the venue will be for her response. Right. We we suspect it will be made out of metro Atlanta, but the uh – but the time and the word the place the, the the location and the uh, kind of the, how, the the state of the props that are that may be there in terms of people and such we don't know we don't know and 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 to tell you the truth i think you know it's it's one of those situations where where there have it, it the the response has often been an opportunity to to kind of screw up it is it's very much like a political debate you know it's the wins are hard, hard to get and by i think by by lowering expectations, by maybe surprising viewers. I think they plan to 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 mitigate that a little bit.
4: It's going to be interesting
1: to see what goes on with that. Uh, Ed?
2: Well, you know, um,
4: this is a question to Jim and to Jen, for that matter, my Democrat and my reporter at the table. Um, what do you think the odds are that Senator Schumer would give this assignment to her if he didn't already have a pledge from her that she's running for the U.S. Senate?
2: Uh, I would say that you would have to have at least a very, very strong statement that I will seriously, seriously consider it. I concur. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Um, All right. Let's go back. We'll talk about Stacey's
1: response. But what about the president's speech in the first place? He's we, we have they've been sending out little hints from the White House. The president himself, Heath, has been pumping it up. Saying, essentially, wait till you see what I have coming up. He was asked in a Face the Nation interview yesterday, what about declaring a national emergency in terms of money for the wall? Well, you'll have to wait for the State of the Union. What about a meeting with uh, North, uh, another summit? uh in north with north korea well you'll have to wait for the state of union it's a tv show it is i mean this is
3: whether your listeners love or hate or indifferent to donald trump and i'd like to meet the indifferent ones the uh the, the man knows how to build anticipation and create must see television right uh it's a fascinating thing prior to donald trump you know, State of the Unions were basically snoozers except for everybody that was involved in the political process. Ratings were going down. There were television channels, broadcast channels were thinking about not airing it every year, all kinds of things. And now this man has made it must-watch television, uh, and and he's doing exactly what he does on everything, building it up. And I, I don't know that he can deliver to his own expectations uh, at the end of the day, And uh, but it's going to be a fascinating uh, speech. And then, of course, about having the shutdown and having – uh, Nancy Pelosi could not have given him any better coverage for getting people to pay attention to his State of the Union than tell him he couldn't do it. Uh, and so we, the, the two of them are feeding each other's uh, kind of base politics. But uh, it's going to be fascinating. And actually, I want to say as a Republican, I'm excited to have a Georgian. Uh, you know, give the response. I think that's good for the state of Georgia. I think it's good for body politic and all that's going in it. But uh, yeah, I do think it's a tough row for, uh, for Ms. Abrams. And I think he's, he's a tough act to follow.
1: We should uh, real quickly point out that uh, Johnny Isaacson uh, has uh, invited Keisha Lance Bottoms, the Atlanta city mayor, to uh, be with him,
2: uh, to, be, to be in the gallery uh, for the speech. And uh, Lucy McBath has just announced that she's going to uh, have as her guest Jeff Binkley. He's the the father of the Dunwoody father of uh, of the young woman who graduated from Dunwoody High but was killed in a in a in in a mass shooting in in a Tallahassee yoga studio. Ugh. All right, um, that's just
1: sad to hear that, Jen. It's the the, the White House has said that one of the things the president hopes to accomplish with this speech is to send a message of recon- unity, coming together, working for common goals. Uh, how likely do you think it is that the atmosphere in the House chamber tomorrow night is going to be one which would encourage that sort of behavior? Well,
0: what's interesting in terms of <laughs> Trump is that last year, State of the Union was a little bit of a snoozer. I think we all were like— what's he going to say? And then he just read off the teleprompter. And it was like, all right, this is kind of par for the course. Um, This year, you know, he's a little more unleashed right now. And so the question is, like, the White House and his White House press and communications folks may be saying this is what the message is going to be. But we know with the president that You know, he is prone to go off prompter at any second. And when that happens, that's when you really see some fireworks. So that's what I'm interested in seeing is if is he gonna stay kind of on message or whatever this message is gonna be? And I think that's the hard part for Stacey Abrams too, is how do you craft an effective response? I mean, everybody else, that's why the response of responses have always been so boring too is because the speech was always so boring. And so how do you craft an effective response when really you have someone who is prone just to say whatever is on his mind at any given second?
1: L- let me we'll continue but let me tell you we've heard from a number of you uh, Carol Waller says she saw it, the Abrams spot on WTOC in Savannah. She's in Statesboro. Uh, Roderick Hand saw it in Albany immediately, and they all saw it immediately after the halftime show, Bell Bush, uh, the same thing. She's from Warner Robins. So it wasn't, uh, it was true the spot did air, uh, Ed, Ed, yeah. last year, President Trump spoke for an hour and 20 minutes. It was the second longest state of the union speech ever given. Trivia question: Who do you imagine gave the longest state of the union? Bill Clinton. Absolutely, yeah, no, no doubt about it. But to sort of
4: pick up on, on what what Jen was talking about a moment ago, uh, th- th- this speech tomorrow also has some perils for the Democrats. Not so much Stacey Abrams, quite frankly. I've I've seen her give a speech. I've I've served with her in the general assembly. I'm I'm expecting her to hit it out of the park uh, for her base. But the danger is going to be how the Democrats in Congress react. Absolutely, because I, you know, I remember quite frankly when some Republicans did not react as appropriate as I would like to see folks react to a president who's giving a State of the Union, and there was an awful lot of blowback. And I, th- I think overall, it was a, it was a, it was a net negative for the Republicans. That's a really
1: good point, Jim. Uh, who was it? Uh, which member There's of the House from, who said, House said House you from, lied from South South
4: South
2: to Obama"? It was Joe Wilson. Wilson, Joe Wilson, Joe Wilson out of South Carolina. But anyway,
4: like I said, so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the the Democratic Congress. And if they don't give the president uh, the deference that – the American people still expect presidents to receive some deference even if they don't like them.
2: Jim? Uh, well, the other part of that of what Ed is saying is that you, you've you've got the Democrat Nancy Pelosi as Speaker of the House will be be constantly in the same frame with Trump. That's right, and everybody will be watching her reactions, and I'm sure Democrats in the House will be taking their cue from her.
4: Yeah. Like I said, I'm just simply saying that it's going to be a lot of drama on both sides tomorrow. So.
3: That's an important visual, by the way, and one we haven't had the factor of with Trump yet. But if you were going to find somebody on the Democratic side that's almost as divisive as the president himself— uh, from a purely political standpoint, Nancy Pelosi is that person. Her
1: numbers are apparently up. Morning Consult's latest poll—that's yeah. a, a polling arm of Politico—have her uh,
2: numbers. Uh, uh, yeah, the last coming AJ, up. The yeah, last yeah. AJC poll showed her up. Oh. Uh, I think they're up, but I mean she's up still a, a,
3: a, a very divisive. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, clearly. Up above political oh. figure, clearly.
1: <laughs> well. uh, all right. So uh, here is some advice. I loved this from uh, previous uh, people who have given. Uh, responses to the State of the Union. Uh, (laughs) No surprise. Uh, Marco Rubio says to uh, Stacey Abrams, hydrate Hydrate. before the speech. Joe Kennedy says lose the lip balm. you, You may recall he gave a response, and nobody remembers a word he said, but he apparently had just put... Lip balm on his lips, and so he had these very glossy lips that people were put off by. And he said it may have had
2: a big impact on his political career. If, if, I, if I could, if I could interrupt here, yeah. this is a this is a great reporting technique here, Bill. I just got a note from Johnny Grant, okay, uh, in Macon, who says that he heard it on W or the Abrams ad on WMaz. There you go. See,
1: okay. All right. So all of these that's sort of the trivial stuff, you know, appearances, how you position, what you're wearing, all that. But let's go. Jen, how, what, does she, what does she talk about tomorrow night? What, if you had the chance to advise her on, like, three talking points, I mean, I know this is coming out of nowhere and it's something that you need to really think about, but what do you hope Stacey Abrams is able to do tomorrow night?
0: Look, I think one of her strengths is really talking about um, t- institutional integrity, right? The voting systems, the right to vote, all that kind of kind of stuff. And I think right now, a lot of people in our country are feeling very uneasy. And our institutions are kind of what we go to when we feel that way. And so if she can talk about that in a way that gives people hope, you know, that we can move in a way that our institutions are are, are going to be there for the future and for our children. I think that's what people are looking for. They're actually looking for leadership. I mean, I, I think people are feeling really kind of off right now.
2: You know, uh, uh, the, the two. Th- I would add a couple things. Number one is very specifically health care. Uh, I, th- I think uh, that's 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 that was a proven uh, national issue on November sixth, and I think the I don't think Democrats are ready to give up on it again. Secondly, I would be. I, I'm interested to see how much of Sherrod Brown's message she begins to pick up, which is a basically a let's let's embrace the, the American worker uh, campaign. He, this is the, this is the U.S. senator out of Ohio.
1: The only Democrat statewide who continues to be elected in a state that has gone red uh, in recent elections. Um Heath, does she have a big opportunity here?
3: Oh, I look, I think to underestimate Stacey Abrams on this stage is a mistake that we as Republicans definitely shouldn't make from a political standpoint. And look, uh, Stacey is a very competent legislator and at times has had oratorical flourish. And I think that uh, she obviously became a much better Uh, messenger during this uh, bruising campaign and so I think that that the Democrats have been smart in bringing her forward and obviously it solved a little bit of a problem for Chuck Schumer since the rest of his chamber was running for president it it absolutely gives her a a stage uh, and an opportunity for her to take advantage of those issues. I think Jim and Jen have nailed nailed the issues that are going to matter to the Democratic base but also to independent voters and so I think she has a chance and, and I do think that it's always been the place where you go to kind of lose your presidential campaign. But I, up until now, I don't think she's running for president like a lot of the other people were anticipating on doing. So it could catapult her into the presidential discussion. Interesting. If she and, hits the Oh, I'm, so- the park. I'm sorry. I'm right. Ed, no.
1: uh, I don't want to give you the last word on this segment. It's interesting, of course, that throughout mm-hmm. her campaign for governor, Abrams, for the most part, stayed completely away from attacking President Trump. She focused on issues that she felt were much more meaningful to
2: Georgians, as Jim and, points and, and out. Health care is one of them, and that wouldn't that wouldn't surprise me. Uh, that to, to was going to be my question. If, Ed. if, she,
4: if she's smart, she's going to come in and she's going to talk about issues, uh, issues that matter to people on around the kitchen table, and it was going to be difficult for her sometimes. And it, I'm curious whether or not she's going to have an audience or not, because the one time that 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 Stacey can sometimes deviate from from the excellent uh, appearance that, that we all expect from her is when she's in an audience and she gets energized by that audience that which looks good in front of an audience doesn't necessarily translate well in front of a tele- in on, on television so she's got to she's got to be careful about that but she's the pro she knows how to do this and so you know I'm expecting her to give a good speech and to clearly uh, draw the line Uh, so that we can have a good race in 2020.
1: All right, I got to get to our final break of the show. I will say as I go, this question about whether anybody will see her or not, uh, to some extent, if you're president of the United States and you don't want anybody to see Stacey Abrams, you make your speech even longer (laughs) than you might have otherwise because it's going to get late in the evening uh, since he doesn't start till a little bit after 9 o'clock. All right, we're going to get our final break of the show in. We'll be right back with more in a moment.
2: On the next Fresh Air, before states ran legal lotteries, there was the
1: underground street version, the numbers. Bridgette Davis talks with Terry about growing up with an enterprising mother who was a numbers runner in Detroit in the 1960s and 70s. She did well and raised her five children in a comfortable home that she owned. Davis has written a memoir about her experience. Join us.
2: Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3 here on GPB. I'm Ross Terrell, GPB's reporter in Atlanta. I cover issues that affect the metro area, and I break down what they mean for people across the state and people just like you. Issues like MARTA expansion and new cityhood movements making their way through the Gold Dome. Listen to Georgia Public Broadcasting for in-depth reporting that matters and stand with the facts.
1: Here we go. Back on Political Rewind. Uh, I just got back with my wife from Boston. Our daughter uh, is just finishing up her senior year at Emerson College. And Emerson College has become a pretty uh, respected polling organization. And because I was there, I thought I'd read you some interesting figures. They just did polling on Iowa voters and those imaginary matchups, which are meaningless, of course, between President Trump and any Democrat. The only Democrat who beats President Trump in the Emerson College polling is who? Joe Biden. Joe Biden by 11 points. He hmm. beats Trump. Beats uh, Kamala Harris by six points. Beats uh, uh, Sherrod Brown by nine points. Elizabeth Warren by nine points. So Biden's the one guy who Emerson says uh, in that imaginary matchup could beat Trump and be the next president. Just a little plug for my daughter's college. All right, on to much more serious business, Jim. The revelation about Governor Ralph Northam of Virginia has been staggering to a lot of people, because in part because it's just another example of the horrific, horrific uh, bigotry that this country has uh, continues to see
2: unfold. Even though this was back in the mid '80s, and 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 the bad and the, just the terrible way they respond to it, terrible, and, and that that's right, exactly, and just uh, it was it was. Uh, OK, so first you first uh, he's he's already uh, the, the, the governor of Virginia is already embroiled in a in a, in a debate over uh, late term abortion uh, on the heels of that. We don't know if there's a direct connection. Somebody has found a, a copy of his uh, medical school yearbook. His page has a a a figure in, in a single photograph, a, a figure in blackface and a, somebody in a KKK. uh, uh. Uh, uh, outfit. Uh, the governor says he's sorry he was in it. 24 hours later, he says I wasn't oh, I in wasn't it. In it. Uh, and you've got everybody un- under the sun uh, except for Barack Obama and Stacey Abrams calling for his all, all Dems outside of obama and Stacey abrams calling for his uh, for his resignation and it and and, and it, it this is a, you have to, one thing you have to you have to remember about virginia it's a very peculiar state when it comes to the, uh, the governorship as soon as you win it you're a lame duck yeah you got one term you got yeah. one term and 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 so uh, not only is there there's 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 no uh, weapon you can use uh, to force the governor out. You know, uh, Janet. it occurred to me as I watched the news conference
1: uh, uh, that Northam gave, it is that part of, I mean, aside from the fact that he first said, yes, it's me, in the, what, one of those people is me in the picture, then he said no, uh, he's, his deportment in the news conference, he almost seemed nonchalant about the accusations and at one point seemed prepared to demonstrate the moonwalk, which he had said he did do earlier... In blackface. In blackface, in an imitation of Michael Jackson. Uh, it it was just a bizarre event to begin with. And if you're not watching on Facebook, Jen Jordan is showing us how much <laughs> despair Democrats feel because she's been sitting with her her fingers resting on her forehead. This is a horrendous thing for Democrats right now.
0: So... From a crisis communication standpoint, I have never seen a bigger failure. Yeah. Um, You know, when your defense is, oh, well, that's not me in blackface in that photo because I remember when I was in blackface before and that wasn't the point in time. And then do you want me to demonstrate the moonwalk? Yeah. Like – There are so many levels of bad here in terms of that. He took a really, really bad situation and made it so much worse um, when he has to turn to his wife and his wife has to say, yeah, this is completely inappropriate. Don't even think about doing the moonwalk in front of the the press.
4: Well, can I first start off by speaking up for young professionals in the early 1980s? Because I don't remember seeing anyone in my law class or my college class when I was going through, or my friends who were in med school, uh, you know, dressing up in either a Klan outfit or blackface. I mean, I've just, when I first saw the picture, I was just going, you know, what rock did he crawl out from underneath? And, you know, but I I must admit, my first, until I saw his press conference on Saturday, I was was first trying to go, okay, maybe we ought to hear this guy out. And because I've often thought that, you know, when you see something like this, the question is, does it represent who he is now or does it represent how far he's come from where he was? So let's give the person a chance to be heard and see how he demonstrates how far he's come from a really horrible picture. And then there was, as Jen, Jen has already pointed out, and then was the press conference on Saturday. I don't know how he survives.
3: I don't either. This reminds me of Al Franken. Uh, obviously a sexual harassment situation, but at first was trying to explain it, then made it worse, and then said he wasn't going to resign, and ultimately did. I think it's the only place for this to end up. Uh, uh, most, about half the Democrats have come out, I think, maintaining intellectual consistency in the demand for him to resign. I think there are a few others who were trying to figure out the politics of it, but I think by the next 24 hours. Well, I think Democrats. every
1: Democrat who's running for president has already condemned him right. and plus, told him he must resign. Plus
2: the two uh, senators from Virginia and uh, the congressman who, who represents Virgin, uh, Richmond, the Richmond area. it's uh, He has to resign simply because it, he, 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 he would become the, the symbol for the ineffectiveness of any attack on Donald Trump uh, in t- in 2020 on on the issue of race or 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 c- cultural what what matters
0: well and look this is really bad for Democrats right but it also presents an incredible opportunity in the sense that we have the Lieutenant Governor Fairfax exactly who was just elected he would take. He would basically – he would become the governor of Virginia and it wouldn't preclude him from running a full term. An
1: African-American, young African-American, apparently very dynamic, very well thought of, who – just a minor point but so interesting in terms of his personal story – took the oath of office with – in, in his, his pocket the papers the, of manumission of his great 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 grandfather the papers that freed his slave great 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 grandfather that's a story that can help redeem this
2: situation i think for democrats but but, but jen just to clarify you're you're saying that in essence uh, fairfax would have would, would be an 8 year governor yes 7 year Seven,
0: years. Seven year, because there's been a year, so he'll okay. he'll serve out the rest. So he'll be the one Virginia governor who isn't a lame duck on so, the day me uh, gets elected. So
1: Robert and Tom have been sending me notes as we're talking about this. Number one, Morning Consult, I mentioned earlier, they're the politically the polling arm of Politico. Uh, they have done a poll that shows that Ralph Northam's uh, approval ratings have dropped forty one percent since all this. Uh, broke. There's no way he can stay in office. They also uh, sent me a note pointing out that at one point, Justin Fairfax was under uh, uh, allegations, had, had had been alleged to have committed some form of sexual harassment himself. It, it, we should say that the Washington Post apparently put a team on these charges and eventually said they could not in any way corroborate them. Nevertheless, that's not helpful in a moment like this. So we'll watch how all of that unfolds. It's not – real quick, Jim, it's not surprising that Abrams wouldn't be weighing in on this on the
2: day oh, no. before his oh, no, no. speech. No, no. Uh, and, and actually you know, probably not with a, – a, a Obama isn't, isn't a surprise either because there's some very specific video that shows him and Northam – Sending side by side. Yeah, and but but for Abrams, no, no, this would be entirely off message. Yeah, for she her doesn't to get need it.
1: She doesn't need it now. All
2: right, we are completely out of time. I wish
1: we weren't, because I've personally enjoyed this conversation an awful lot. State Senator Jen Jordan, Heath Garrett, Ed Lindsay, Jim Galloway. Thank you so much for being with us. By the way, tomorrow a special rewind. We're going to have John Ward on the show. John Ward has just published a new book. On the uh, battle between Edward Kennedy and Jimmy Carter for the 1980 Democratic presidential nomination. It was a fantastically compelling uh, moment in history for Jimmy Carter. And we'll break it all down in depth on tomorrow's show. And then, of course, on Wednesday, we'll come back and look at the State of the Union and the response. See you then.